Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer's new study, What Does Spirituality Mean to Us?, reveals how spirituality informs our understanding of ourselves and each other and inspires us to take action for the common good. Explore these findings and more at spiritualitystudy.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with Jericho Brown, who's just won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry for the book in progress we talked about in this show, The Tradition. There is, as always, a shorter produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. Good afternoon, and welcome to Poetry and On Being with Krista Tippett and Jericho Brown. Yes, you can, yes, yes. We uh, have a rare opportunity to sit in on a private conversation with Krista and Jericho this afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Here at the Dodge Poetry Festival, we've always felt that one of the essential uh, qualities of poetry is the questions it asks, that it continuously ask questions about what it means to be a human being. It doesn't always give the answers, but it asks important questions. For over 15 years on, on Being and on other radio programs, uh, Krista Tippett has been asking those same essential questions to poets, artists, musicians, astrophysicists, philosophers, mathematicians, a whole amazing array of people with very different points of view. So it seemed to us an absolute natural to bring together um, her questioning, curious mind, and the perspective of on being, which is to ask essential questions about what does it mean to be a human being with the Dodge Poetry Festival. So we are thrilled that the first of these three conversations are happening today and that you are with us. Please help me welcome Krista Tippett and Jericho Brown. Thank you. Yeah, I do need. Yeah. I'm so glad to be here. Really glad to be here. Um, We've been looking forward to this for a long time. Our operating questions at On Being are what does it mean to be human? How do we want to live? And who will we be to each other? And in the invitation that we first received from Martin, and in the language around how this festival describes itself, there are observations and questions that describe why across, especially across recent years, we have found poetry increasingly essential at the heart of our work. This observation, for example, poetry, like all the arts, invites us to ask who we are. There are forces and people who try to decide for us who we should be and who we can't be, how we explore, discover, express, define, and challenge who we are is through poetry. This question, for example, what does the rise in the reading and sharing and cherishing of poetry say about the times in which we live? I know all of you are in circles where that question gets posed. And then there's Walt Whitman's variation on that question from Crossing Brooklyn Brooklyn Ferry. 
what is it then between us? A line like this shows just how poetry can take a straightforward but currently fraught matter of human belonging. What is it then between us? Hmm. And render it in words that beckon, render it into wondering that works its way under your skin. This is why we at On Being put a poet on the air on, uh, of ele on election weekend of 2016. And we are going to put a poet on the air election weekend of 2018. That first time it was Michael Longley, the Northern Irish poet, a country that in living memory has moved beyond violent stridency. Um, and this year it's going to be Tracy K. Smith, our wonderful poet laureate. Tracy's great. She's great. So here's some of what Martin uh, wrote to, first wrote to us in the invitation he sent to be part of this. He said, I think poetry evolved to save us from ourselves. It questions our understanding of what it means to be human and in the process deepens our humanity. History teaches us and the daily news reminds us how easily we forget what it means to be human. Probably no other art form is better than poetry at getting us directly inside another's mind, experience, perspective. The ability to imagine someone else's inner life is where compassion begins. And he said, we could certainly use more of that nowadays. Amen. <laughs> I am also personally grateful uh, for this invitation because it has introduced me to Jericho Brown, to his person and his poetry. And um, I have brought your books, oh, and good. I think you may move. have them with you too. So, so I that's always a good idea. You brought my books. <laughs> I know I'm really smart that way. That's yeah. A, yeah, 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 that's a really good idea. Yeah, you should be more like you know normal people. Just have those things, <laughs> like um, all of them. Don't you all have my books? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm setting an example. Yeah. I'm modeling something here. Yes, yeah, smart, smart. Um, but what I want to say to you, so I'm gonna. I have some poems that I think that I've marked, but if you, in the course of the next hour, just feel called to stand up and read a particular poem, you are warmly invited to do, do so. Do I have to stand up? No, you can sit. Oh. You can. <laughs> um, you grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So um, I um, begin many of my conversations with a question about the religious or spiritual background of someone's early life, their yeah. childhood, and yeah. also the, the origins of the passions and questions that yeah. drive them. Yeah. And it seemed to me, as I started exploring you, that some of the convergence of your story of growing up in church, in the Black Baptist Church, and, and also what being, becoming a poet meant to you, some of that story is wrapped up in the name you chose as an adult, mm. that Jericho is not the name you were born with. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you would reflect on that. Do you think that's true, to say that those things come together in your name? Maybe so. I think uh, one thing that I love about being a poet is that I know that I was prepared for it in every way possible. Um, and one of the ways that I was prepared for it is growing up in a black church. Uh, and when I say growing up in a black church, I mean people really went all the way toward pageantry mm. and toward drama. And 
everything and, and toward what they were going to wear. And everything they could possibly give it, they gave to being in that moment. And the energy in that church, the energy in that sanctuary was always high and everyone was aware mm -hmm. that they were doing it. That the energy was high energy because we were making it high energy with our song, with the way we spoke, with the way we moved. Um, many of you have been to churches or, and, and you know that when you go to a black church, there's no, it's, I mean, hello is, hello and how are you this morning? <laughs> you know, there's all, it's, everything yeah. was so grand, right? And, you know, a song where the note is, ah, turns into, ah, you know, it's like always a little something more where everything is being, um, everything is being given an individual life. This is what my mm. individual self is bringing to it. And, and that's what I learned to give, that's what I learned to give to poetry. I knew that there was a tradition of it. I knew that there were more poets than, there, than just me. And I knew that I would have to emerge individual as a part of a community and that I would have to stamp my poems with myself in the same way that each member of that church understood that worship was going to, be have, was going to have to be stamped with what they were willing to bring to God in that morning. Um, and when I changed my name, I didn't really think about it in a religious way, although obviously the name is, is biblical. Yeah, it's a silly, I wonder what that biblical. name summoned up for you. But I, I was thinking about something that I do associate with the church. When I, I was thinking about the other night how I, I never had the problem. People have this problem where they're like afraid to write about their family. But I always understood that in my poems, if I were to be writing about the father because of because of the subject matter of my poems, if I say father, I'm not just talking about my dad. I'm mm. also talking about that father God that I was taught in church. And if I say father, that also would have resonance with fatherland and motherland, thinking about America, thinking about mm. the continent of Africa um, that is unknown to me in so many ways and yet a part of me culturally. Uh, and so I, when I first started publishing my poems, they came under the name Nelson Demery III. Can y'all believe that? And your father was Nelson Demery II. Junior. The junior, yeah. Not second. Yeah. You know, Sorry. I wish I know. they would say I, something. I don't even know why I'm saying My you father know, I grew was up a junior, with a grown, too. I grew I up with a grown man that everybody was calling junior. <laughs> I know, but people did that back then. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, my dad, my grandfather was senior. And when I would yeah. see my poems come out, they didn't feel like they were. I wanted them to be mine. Yeah. And so me changing my name had a lot to do with, like I was saying, trying to be the individual that emerges within the community. And do I understand it correctly also that, um, that you changed your name when you started writing, really pouring yourself more deeply into sensitive things, like your relationship with your father, yeah. your earthly father, and also with, with, being, with your sexual, with being gay, and, yeah. well, and how I those did, things came together? I didn't, when I, when I was first writing, I wanted more than anything to be able to give all of myself to my poems. And... I don't know if I would think that I had to do this now, but at the time I really believed I had to completely transform in order to do that. Um, Adrian Rich talks about this in When We Dead Awaken, Writing as Revision, one of my favorite essays. Please read it if you haven't. Uh, Langston Hughes talks about this in The Negro Artist and the Racial Mountain. T.S. Eliot talks about this in Tradition and the Individual Talent. 
And it's, it's this idea that whatever we're writing, we have, to ha we have to be free. You have to have at your access, in the midst of writing, all of your memories, all of your knowledge, all of your beliefs, and all of those things could get turned on their head. That what you thought was most valuable comes into question, and you have to be willing to go there while you're writing a poem. It's a very dangerous place to be. Um, it's the reason why if I'm on an airplane and somebody asks me what I do for a living, I, I very quickly tell them I'm a poet, then I don't have to worry about them talking to me anymore. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah. people intuitively or instinctively, people know, oh, you're dangerous. You're hugely problematic. You're asking yourself questions that I've been avoiding my whole life, and you think that's a good time. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so me giving myself that name was a way for me to become somebody who wasn't connected to anything that would say to me that I shouldn't be doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be who I am now. I needed to be Jericho Brown because I needed to have that freedom named. And that's what I was going to call that freedom was Jericho. So. There's, a, there's a poem um, called Our Father. Like Father. Hmm? Page, what is it? Did I get that wrong? I was I going back to my days in church? Like Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wrote okay, it. there was me like transposing my Baptist childhood yeah, yeah. onto the title I of that know. poem. That's what happens. Um, yeah, would you read that one? Yeah, I'll read yeah. it. Like Father. My father's embrace is tighter now that he knows he is not the only man in my life. He whispers, Remember when and I love you as he holds my hand hungry for a discussion of Bible scriptures over breakfast. He pours cups of coffee. I can't stop spilling. My father's embrace is firm and warm and now that he knows, he begs forgiveness for anything he may have done to make me turn to abomination as he watches my eggs scrambled soft. Yolk runs all over the plate. A rubber band binds the morning paper. My father's embrace tightens, grits stiffen. I hug back like a little boy, gripping to prove his handshake. Daddy squeezes me close, but I cannot feel his heartbeat, and he cannot hear mine. There is too much flesh between us, two men in love. I feel like um, something that you um, that you reveal and work with in your poetry, and it was certainly in that, is kind of the uh, some somewhere I don't know whose phrase this was, but it's where tenderness meets violence, mm -hmm. or where where love meets meets alienation, and yet they're both in the same room at the same time, mm -hmm. and in the same bodies, and in the same mm -hmm. bodies touching. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, most of my, all of my work seems to go back to this place where love and brutality somehow yeah. come together. And when I say that, people are like, come, no, they don't. Love and brutality don't come together. Not in the abstract. But, but you know, all you got to do is have kids or a parent. And you actually do know what it's like to feel like, oh, I could actually kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm not because I love you. 
do you, do you know what I mean? Um, you could fall in, I mean, the violence is that, I was talking about this in the last panel. We, we put ourselves through huge inconveniences that, um, that are, are like certain kinds of violence when we fall in love. You know, um, there's somebody in this room who's driven from Massachusetts to California uh, to see somebody for two days. I'm willing, I, I know somebody in this room has done that. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, and so I'm sort of interested in uh, where love goes awry um, or where people use violence as an excuse for love. Uh, and I'm interested in seeing how that comes out in my poems because it's where I can keep asking myself questions. It's something that I don't understand. And I think poems are better built out of what we don't understand, right. not what we do already know, but what we're trying to figure out and better understand. Yeah, and that's an interesting way to say it. And they let what we don't understand, they let that be in the room. They let that be real, and it, they don't contain that urgency that when, you know, that, uh, the ways we converse and discuss and are in dialogue beyond poetry there's this compulsion to solve it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or to simplify it. Mm -hmm. Or then if we can't do either one of those things, to move away. Mm -hmm. Poetry lets you stay present to that. Yeah. Yeah. With the discomfort, yeah. but also with the mystery of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's part of actually what we're doing. When we, this is part of why people have a hard time um, with meditation, because to, tr to truly be in the mode of meditation, you can't have judgment on a thought. You just look at the thought. You can't have judgment on a pain in the body. You just look at the pain in the body and you sort of register things without saying, oh, this is good or this is bad. Mm -hmm. It just is. Um, and then I think you come away from that thinking, oh, well, it must be good because here I still am. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Or and also I can survive this. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, poems have to make our lives clear. Poems have to make our lives real on the page. And nobody's living an easy life. Nobody's living a life that is anything other than complex. Um, and there are things about our lives that TV's not going to give us, that movies even are not going to give us. And poems are where I go for that. That's where I go for the complexity, the, the thing in us that that we don't really understand. Why would you act like that? Why would you mm -hmm. say that thing? Why, how could you commit that evil, right? Um, I said uh, in the last panel, I mentioned, uh, you know, everybody, every murderer's got a mama, yeah. you know, but we don't like to think about that. That's true, they came from somewhere. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm interested in, mm -hmm. yeah. Um. I, I feel like you are a natural-born conversationalist. Oh. I said this to you backstage, you're easy, I'm not I worried so. about this. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I, I, when I was, I was getting ready to interview you and I was looking at other interviews you'd given and, and uh, I felt like we could just sit down out here and I could say hi, hey. and then we could go for an hour. Yeah, um, I'm for it. Um, and you were also a speechwriter for the mayor of New Orleans at uh -huh. one point. Yeah. Um, but so I was trying to figure out, like, how do we, you know, how do we focus this? And, and I found this uh, piece, this interview you did in the Kenyan Review. Uh -huh. Do you remember this? And they had asked you at the end, um, they wanted to talk about what would your credo be? What core beliefs do you have about literature and uh -huh. books? And you gave, um, it was a beautiful, beautiful answer. 
Um, and I just want to pull a couple of those out, and this yeah, yeah, very sure. much follows on what you were just saying, although you know, the word you didn't use um, is, is you, we haven't mentioned the word politics now. And here's something you said. Every, love, every poem is a love poem. Every poem is a political poem, so say the masters. Every love poem is political. Every political poem must fall in love. You also said, you can't love me if you don't love politically. Yeah, yeah. So tell us, tell us. <laughs> tell you how to love me? Yeah, <laughs> no, tell us, take us inside this very No, I mean, I just, I, I, I think, I'm interested in all of people. And there's something in us that wants to really take people down to some sort of census report, I guess. And I'm not interested in census reports. I'm interested in how you got here today and how you managed to do your makeup in the car in order to do it. Like, I'm, I'm interested in that. Do you know what I mean? I'm interested in the fact that you got two kids and you're getting married and now you're pregnant and you're going to have another kid and you're trying to figure out how these kids are all going to call each other sister and brother. Like, I'm interested in that. I'm not interested in this idea that everybody sort of is only an identity. And I'm definitely not interested in this idea that there are blank issues, like women's issues or black issues, right? If you are really good at hurting black people, you will indeed hurt the environment, I promise you. Mm -hmm. if, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. If you are really good at hurting women, you're probably also interested in war. I promise you. Do you understand what I mean? So, so I, 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 it's, I don't know why we think in order to make narratives that somehow help us politically, we have to take people down to some kind of identity as if that identity does not encapsulate the, entire, the entirety of humanity and the entirety of humanity's needs. And so when I say, if, if you love me, you have to love me politically, uh, you know, it's easy to know Jericho Brown because, you know, I'm cool. Hey, how you doing? You know what I mean? Um, but I have a history. I have an ancestry. And you got to take all of that when if you're coming with me, that's what we're taking with us. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm going to take that that part of you as well. And um, I think if we could just love each other a little more whole, we all would be a lot better off. So, I mean, that's that's what I'm that's what I want my poems to point to. Mm -hmm. Right. It makes me think of, um, I've sometimes interviewed, uh, you know, I interview a lot of scientists. You talk to physicists and people who work with mathematics, and they say, you know, this thing we learn in school is, uh, I know, I can see you're saying, where's she going with this? <laughs> yeah, okay. But like, so this thing we learn in school is arithmetic, mm -hmm. right? It's, 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 an equa it's equations. Mm -hmm. And that's not, you know, the, the people who work with mathematics who are helping us understand the nature of the cosmos and help yeah, create all this technology exactly. we use, they say there's mathematical thinking yes. that is so thrilling. Yes. That is such a thrilling part of the human enterprise, and that's not offered to us. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like what you're doing is poetic thinking. Yes, right. I hope so. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, it's not just a way of writing; it's a way of approaching something yes. like putting love and politics in the yes. same sentence. Yes. Yes. And being honest about those things. You know, people are people keep looking for this pure poetry. And people have these questions about the political in poems as if poems were ever not political. I mean, as far as I know, the Iliad and the Odyssey are about the, a war. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and, from, and from that po point on, poems ask us to find a place where we can absolutely rupture within ourselves. And I know nothing more political than asking yourself questions, asking yourself, am I right about that idea or am I really messed up? That's, I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And you have to take all of history and bring it down to one, one individual, one self mm -hmm. in order to do that. So that's, I mean, yeah. There's, there's something also that feels in this spirit to me. It's a piece you wrote. Okay, so it's the Oxford American, a, a magazine of the South, and yeah, you're a yeah. black man from the South. Yeah, um, very good. It's just an important part. Well, it seems important. I mean, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. You know, identity is a important. narrowing word, but it's a huge It's very important. No, no, yeah, no, I, I mean, like being black. So, so the question was... <laughs> Poet, it was called Poetry in Place, What Does It Mean to Be a Poet of the New South? And do you remember this piece you wrote? Um, I don't know, do you want to read this? It's not a poem, but it actually is a poem. I mean, you were asked- Is this the whole thing? No, it's not the whole thing. The it's whole thing is too it? long, it's pretty long, but You want I think me just to read it? Wow, you printed this. I printed okay. it, yeah. The history of the South is the South, and history is always with us, as present as you are reading these words as present as I mean to be as I type them, my South made me in spite of itself. I love it because it is mine, but I'll never know that it loves me, though I do belong to it, in it. I guess you'd say that sounds like slavery. In all the years I've watched television and all the time it took me to get degree after degree, I've never heard anyone say, Slavery was a bad idea. No sentence or idea should ever begin. The good thing about slavery was. No pastor should be allowed to impart that through slavery some gained Christianity. No economist should pretend that all America got in exchange for slavery was cotton. No patriarch or matriarch needs to brag that the proof of black people's strength is evident in their survival of slavery, especially since thriving, not surviving, is the actual goal of any life. I would like everyone to say, at least to one other person today, slavery was a bad idea, without adding an impulsive but at the end of the clause. I live at the end of that clause. Let a man live in truth with you, in 2011, 46% of people diagnosed with HIV were young gay men living in the American South. Black men represented half of those cases. I am one of those black men. I want my South to want me alive, to agree that I do not deserve the death penalty for being or seeing or cussing or loving or smiling with my eyes wide open. You don't get to be a poet without publicly asking questions that people say it's rude to answer in public. Stay with me. What is the value of any human life? Now, what is the value of my life where I'm from, where I intend to thrive, where I've chosen to die? I hadn't seen that in a long time. Yeah, you know, again, I feel it's not a poem, per se, but it's poetic yeah, thinking. Yeah, it's an essay, but, you, you know, as a poet, comments. Yeah, it's got some good sentences. That was something, man. 
Yeah, it's pretty good, I isn't wasn't it? A, no, yeah, that really, I hadn't, you know, you write these things and they go in the world and people do with them what they do. And I actually hadn't thought about the fact that I had written that in a very long time. So it's, it's sort of, it's actually sort of really emotional um, to read it and to read it in front of people because I don't think I've ever read it in front of people before. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you. You were diagnosed with HIV, is that right? A thousand years ago. A thousand I'm years still ago. Alive. I know, but you did. Yeah, you wrote. You did write a poem about that. Um, to be seen. Did I get that yeah, one right? Yeah, yeah, Did I turn that into a Bible verse too? Yeah, yeah. What page is it? Do you know? Page nineteen. You want me to read it? You weren't asking me to read it. You were going to ask me about it. I, well, both. You can read oh. it first or talk about it first. I'll just read it, and then yeah. you can tell me. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. This is exciting. To be seen. Forgive me for taking the tone of a preacher. You understand a dying man must have a point. Not that I am dying exactly. My doctor tells me I'll live longer than most since I see him more than most. Of course, he cannot be trusted, nor can any man who promises you life for looking his way. Promises come from the chosen, a lunatic, the whitest dove, those who hear the voice of God and other old music. I'm not chosen. I only have a point, like anyone paid to bring bad news, a preacher, a soldier, the doctor. We talk about God because we want to speak in metaphors. My doctor clings to the metaphor of war. It's always the virus that attacks and the cells that fight or die, fighting. Hell, I remember him saying the word siege when a rash returned. Here, I am dying while he makes a battle of my body. Anything to be seen when all he really means is to grab me by the chin. And like God the Father, say through clenched teeth, look at me when I'm talking to you. Your healing is not in my hands, though I touch as if to make you whole. You're just waiting for me to ask a question, aren't you? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you, um. I'm I'm realizing, I'm realizing for the first time in my life that I've put things in books that I haven't read in front of people. You mean right now, for the first time in your life, right yeah. here, with all of us as that witnesses? That there are things in books that putting something in a book is very different from like reading it in front of people. But I'm ha- I'm, I feel really good about this, though. I mean, it's really fascinating to me, like that very, the different, the work you do when you're sort of letting go and allowing whatever it is. Like I, I think I said this earlier, you know, you have to allow whatever wants to come to come. You have the poems, the, the work you do has to have access to all of your life. And so it's really interesting um, to talk about that in front of folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to see that enacted in the last couple of things I read, yeah. But I mean, that is, that is the thing about writing, isn't it? Because we can't, it, it's, it gives voice, it's another part of us gets poured into that that we're yeah. not 
we just don't walk around, you know, we're not all in a Shakespeare play yeah, yeah. speaking poetry to each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's part of the reason why um, I think the most nervous I've been about this book that's coming out, I have a book coming out in April, it's called The Tradition, Get You Some. Um, but the, the, the book in many ways is about rape and, and sexual coercion, and um, which was while I was writing it, what I knew I was supposed to be doing. And now that the book is coming out, there's not going to be any way for me to run from it when it's time to read those poems in front of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm preparing myself mm-hmm. for that. Because um, everybody enjoys their anonymity, um, but I understand that I've signed up for something that doesn't necessarily give me anonymity in the eyes of other people. But I also understand poems can only capture certain tones, yeah. and they're not how we feel about things forever. They're how we feel about things how we're capable of feeling about things when we write the poem. I think writing poems for me helped transform my feeling about, mm-hmm. about a lot of stuff. So I think this is really good practice for me to read this stuff mm-hmm. that you have me reading. Well, it's a pretty intense moment to be writing about rape and sexual violence as well. Were you yeah. already writing about it before? Yeah. I mean, I had been writing this book. The, my most recent book came out in 2014, and uh, I realized that I had said a bunch of things, but that I hadn't told the entirety of the truth. I sort of told part of the truth. About your parents? Or? Well, actually about HIV. Okay. And that I got HIV because I had been raped. Oh. So, like, so there's this book where I like, admit having HIV because I realized after my first book, I realized, you know what, you didn't say that, and you're thinking about that all the time which means you're lying. Mm-hmm. You haven't given all of yourself. So you have to allow that. If that's what wants to come, you're going to have to allow it to come. And so it came, you know. It's not in every poem, but it's there. And then the same thing after I finished this book, I realized, well, there's a little, I could get a little closer to the bone, or in this case, closer to the marrow, and I could get at how I actually contracted HIV was because I got raped, mm-hmm. which was like a whole nother thing. Because, you know, the, whole, the, in the, New Te- the New Testament is about a, a lot of things, which is why it's called the New Testament. Um, it's about God. Right? You know what I mean? But then this other book kept being about this, this thing, this idea that I have about Greek myth and about Western civilization and about the murder of uh, black bodies for absolutely no reason by police. Mm-hmm. And all of those things have to do all of that sort of encroaching is like a kind of rape. And in order for me to understand that kind of rape, I had to make it real and literal. And so I had to use my own, which was really something I hadn't thought about. I mean, other than in therapist chairs. Do you know what I mean? Like I really yeah. hadn't thought about how to make that into writing. And so it was the hardest work I've ever done and yet the most inspired work. And so now I'm in that stage as the book is we're sort of in galleys and you know doing the work we need to do to get the book bound 
as we're doing that work, I'm thinking to myself like, oh, this is so exciting. What the fuck have I done? Yeah, right. Oh my God, I can't <laughs> wait till my book comes out so that I can hide under my bed. Uh-huh. Do you know, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I'll be fine. Like I read uh, actually in New York a couple nights ago, um, there was this reading for an anthology called um, um, Women, oh, what is the name? I should, oh, Women Resist, Women Resisting, Resisting women, something, it's got resistance in it and it's got women in it and I'm not remembering it exactly, uh, which is too bad because I'd love for y'all to go by it, but you can find it with those words, right? Yeah. And um, so I read a lot of those poems because I knew that would be the audience that needed to sort mm-hmm. of hear them because that's part of what, what the anthology is about. And, um, and I got through it. I mean, I was crying and stuff, but I got through it, you know what I mean? And so, I, and so I'll just keep doing that because ultimately somebody needs it. I mean, I need to write those poems because I need to get to the next phase of my life where I get over the stuff yeah. that I'm clearly holding in. That's what I need it for, and that's what I'm writing it first. But whenever I write a book, I find that there are people in the world who needed it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm not writing for that, but that's good to get. Well, that's that strange thing that the more... The more authentically and deeply we can speak from our particular experience we speak to the particular experience of others yeah yeah um so true yeah which is, is so you know why weird. it doesn't it's not quite logical that it should yeah. work that way but it's true but we speak, true. you say universal things and they don't yeah. speak to the particular yeah. experience of others um you know something you just said a minute ago i just want to i want to just kind of underline that that this is you have you are really seeing this book in this moment where this whole matter of sexuality and and rape and the spectrum of what leads to that is out in public um and my personal feeling is that we you know just that, that we just scratch the surface it it, mm-hmm. it we reckon with it in public in these really imperfect flawed mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. but what you just said about that this reckoning with what happens to particular bodies, black mm-hmm. bodies or women's bodies, is it actually, it's, our civ- it's connected to this much larger civilizational reckoning with bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we've been told about them. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the reason why um, I say this is the hardest thing and yet the most inspired thing, I think um, in all my reading, I hadn't really been reading any poems that called rape, rape. You know, like we read a lot of poems where rape might happen, but we don't really realize that's what it is. Do you understand what Mm. I mean? There's a lot, I mean, I don't, I haven't read a lot of poems that really interrogate these questions about power and that really look at the fact that men still have no idea what rape is. Um, that really look at, I mean, really, really will rape somebody and not know that they did it. Yeah. Well, Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and also I'm hearing echoes between what you said, what the piece you read a minute ago about slavery, and then in fact we, we talk about it, but we don't actually really full-on talk about it. Mm-hmm. There's always a but at the end. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's always a but at the end and of the And so, sentence. you know, I wanted, I mean, I'm interested in, if we're going to have these conversations, I want to have them, and I have to have them in my genre, right? Mm-hmm. I think the conversations that are being had should be, if you're a preacher, they should be, you should have them in the pulpit. 
if you're an engineer, somehow you should be ha- I don't care what you do. You yeah. should be having the conversation you're supposed yeah, to have. Yeah, you're a parent if you're a teacher. And in spite of that, I think we're sort of calling something something, but we're not interrogating what it is, and we're not answering questions. Like, what is the answer to sexual assault within a community? Right? We know what the answer is to sexual assault. What is the answer to sexual harassment in a community? Right? We know what it is, what the answer is in the workplace. Mm-hmm. We know what the answer is in the law. What is the real answer in a community, mm-hmm. right? And we have, we have poetry communities where not so great things happen to women. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Mm-hmm. What's our answer to that, right? Um, and so I wanted to write poems that sort of got it, trying to figure that out for myself. So. Mm-hmm. Um, what was something you said... Something I say it. Yeah. I I don't know exactly. This everybody's is a little lighter at, than what we're talking about. Every, everybody's like, <laughs> what happened? We were having such a good time. <laughs> no, well this well so it's this is a fault. little lighter from what we've just oh, been talking about. Oh, it's lighter, see. But 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 I think it's connected actually. Okay. Because yeah. um it's it's something you said about um the the similarity between poet poems and church services mm-hmm. that poems have structure and they have music yeah. and you said and they even have surprises yeah yeah you don't know who's gonna shout I remember I was in church one time I think I was ten or eleven years old and I had just started wearing gla- I couldn't see the whole time I was growing up and my mom and dad finally shielded out the money for me to get some gla- glasses. I mean, this was huge in my family, by the way, because glasses were really, I remember they were like a hundred and something dollars. And anything that was three digits was not happening when I was, I'm serious. Y'all, yeah. y'all think that's funny, yeah. but I'm serious. They were, we were just blind. I didn't see a dentist until I was like 24 years old. Do you know what I mean? Like anything that cost money, they were like, how are we supposed to do that? We don't have money. And it was real. So I had these glasses and I was all excited because I could see and this man next to me must have shouted so good and knocked my glasses clean across that church. I know, and they broke. And then, you know, and you know how, y'all don't know this, but some of y'all are in family, so you do know this. People get mad at you for stuff that you didn't even have any. My mom and dad were so angry with me <laughs> that my glasses broke. Right, right, right. These glasses done broke. We done had to pay these. But now we got to go get more glasses and pay more money to get these glasses. And I was like, why don't you just get the shouting man to fix the glasses? And, but, but it wasn't. It was funny because it wasn't his fault that he was shouting. Like, that's one of the surprises you can have in church, though, Right. Wait, you know, like, somebody knocks your glasses off? Yeah, or? that could happen to you. Yeah. That could happen to you. Somebody could start shouting and, and knock you in the mouth. True. But you wouldn't know where that was going to... You knew that that was going to happen. You knew going to church, somebody's going to get excited, but you didn't know when they were going to get excited. Okay. You didn't know how it was going to manifest itself. And I think a similar thing, you know, we have an order of service. When you go to church there, the same thing happens in the same order all the time. And I think that's sort of like in a, fo- in a formal poem, uh, in a Shakespearean sonnet, you know you got to have three quatrains and a couplet. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so similarly... Um, When I'm writing my poems, I'm thinking about structure in this way, and I'm trying to figure out, well, where is the surprise for me? Where am I going to say the thing I don't expect to say? Right. So, so, you know, I've had this 
a similar conversation with Marilyn Nelson. I know she's. Here. I don't know if she's here she's in this thrilled. room, but yeah, she's wonderful. This whole thing about the uh, structure and meaning and how they work together. Right? I mean, I kind of think you're saying this like you may be working with the structure, yeah. or within the structure, yeah. and yet you know the surprise yeah. can emerge from that yeah. and must emerge from that. Yeah. Well, you haven't written anything until you say something you didn't expect to say. That's yeah. when you, and yeah. that's the beginning. Yeah. You know, you're sort of right. You're sort of like, oh, here go some words. Oh, that's a nice word. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you, and you're looking, and as you're writing, you're making sentences, and suddenly you will say something that you have to hurry up and keep talking. Because if you don't, you'll, you have to realize, I just said something. That's crazy. And now I've got to keep going on that point. Mm-hmm. I can't run from that. Um, and that's sort of often what happens with younger poets, with my students. They'll hit something that's a huge thing, and they almost immediately are like, do not mess with that. Let's talk about something. And you know that they've done it because suddenly the sentences get really poor. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the sentences are better. The sentence, when you, syntactical energy is all about you saying what you do not expect yourself to say because you want to get it right. You're like, certainly I don't mean mean that, so let me make sure this comma's in exactly the right place. Do you know what I mean? So it's really interesting. So, I mean, so I want to be clear. I didn't want to, I didn't want to swerve away from being in a, talking about big, hard things. Yeah, I love hard things. Yeah, I know. So, but I guess. (laughs) Big, hard things. (laughs) Luckily, this is radio. Um, I. um, You did it. I didn't do it. I know. Okay, now I'm going to have trouble getting back. Um, well, it's good. They so laughed I, again. Yes, they did. So, well, I know, but, but, but I guess, I, so here's what I want to ask you. Like, if, You're going to ask me about big, hard things? <laughs> You're making it really difficult for me to go back to this. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to get past this. Um, this interview is getting more and more private, I know. young lady. Well, so tell me... Can you think of um, can you think of a surprise? So we were talking a minute ago about wrestling with uh, complex issues. Yes, that's <laughs> a synonym for big hard things. Yeah, and, <laughs> I especially like the verb wrestling. <laughs> they like this. They like all this blue talk. They like well, that. Okay, there's yeah. You should now. See, I have poems that do that I know, too. Those are the ones you should have. I know this is not what I associated with Geraldine Ard. Everybody's like, "This is my chance. I'm finally going to get that date. I'm just going <laughs> to." Now's the time where you like look across the room at that person. Okay. Okay. All right. And if they're not looking back at you, it's not going to. But if they might be looking, now's the time. Okay. <laughs> um, Everybody's like looking. Everybody's like. I know. Oh, good. I'm so glad our faces aren't huge. Okay. Have you had that before? It's just so no. horrifying when you know you're. Faces when your face is on the thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so especially if you have acne right now. Right now, my skin is acting crazy. I've been drinking a lot of pop, though. You look pretty good from this distance. Do y'all say pop in Newark? What do y'all say? No. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. That's a. They say soda pop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I, <laughs> did I lead us astray? No. You did, but okay. that's all right. It's you're the, you're you are the center of the conversation. I'm the um, so this whole thing of so do you have a do you have a um, an example uh, or a story of uh, a, what was happening in a poem surprising you? This could also be serious. 
yeah. recently. Yeah, I do. Actually, um, maybe I'll read um, maybe I'll read one of the new poems. That'd be great. Is that okay with y'all? Yeah. Um, I think I have some new poems. I might, I might read a poem that you'll hear um, at another point. I'll read this one. Um, well, no, I won't. I'll read this one because a lot of people saw it. It was in um, Time Magazine. And it's the first time something really great happened to me. And I could tell my mom, because usually good things happen. You know, y'all know, I don't, my, my mother, you know, I really don't think people who work at Kroger's, who like are like the checkout people, you know, nobody ever, do y'all know what I'm saying? Like when, you, when you're the checkout person at Walmart, there's no expectation that you're gonna bring your mom with you to go to work. And when you're an architect and you design a, a building, there's no expectation that your mother's gonna like watch you draw the plans or walk through the building with you when it opens. Do y'all know what I mean? But when you're a poet, everybody's always like, well, did you send your book to your mother yet? Right, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, hey, crazy. What would I look like sending my book to my mama? Yeah. And um, so, you know, we have an agreement. She, but this she, was in Time Magazine, is that what you said? Yeah, this poem was in yeah. Time Magazine. I sent her the Time Magazine. She's yeah. very happy. Yeah, that's good. She's like, oh, that was nice. Now you're finally writing nice poems. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling too much. Now y'all are going to be like, that wasn't nice. Yeah. <laughs> Four day in the morning. My mother grew morning glories that spilled onto the walkway toward her porch because she was a woman with land who showed as much by giving it color. She told me I could have whatever I worked for. That means she was an American. But she'd say it was because she believed in God. I am ashamed of America and confounded by God. I thank God for my citizenship in spite of the timer set on my life to write these words. I love my mother. I love black women who plant flowers as sheepish as their sons. By the time the blooms unfurl themselves for a few hours of light, the women who tend them are already at work. Blue. I'll never know who started the lie that we are lazy but I'd love to wake that bastard up at four day in the morning, toss him in a truck, and drive him under God past every bus stop in America to see all those black folk waiting to go work for whatever they want. A house, a boy to keep the lawn cut, some color in the yard. My God, we leave things green. That's a poem, thank you. So, so literally, I got, in, I got to say, I love my mother. Mm. And there, you know, which is a feeling I actually have, and many of us have this feeling. I mean, it's, but I've never had any opportunity to say that. And it, is, it was the most emotional thing for me, and it was a huge surprise to me to get to a moment where that was indeed the next thing, the thing the poem needed was a truth. And it, it, it seems a small truth. 
And yet in that moment, it was the largest truth because that love for my mother then becomes this love I have for an entire people in a way that I sort of, a sort of a way I'm really bothered by um, the way an entire people can be misunderstood. Mm. So, Mm. yeah, that's a surprise. Mm. There are other surprises, you know, in this poem. Like when I, um, like I didn't, like when I say, I love black women who plant flowers as sheepish as their sons, which is like me clearly talking about me when I was a kid, but also sort of making that larger, you know? So I like that. That's interesting. Surprises. That, that, thank you. That's fun for you yeah. to share that with us. Yeah. I think um, my way of making a poem is very different from other people's way of making a poem. I, uh, I mean, I do this in several ways. I mean, one of the ways I do it is I have a bunch of things that didn't work and I just put them together and they're all on different pages and I cut them up and I sit them on a table and it's like I'm putting a puzzle together. Mm-hmm. But what I do other than that is I write a line and then I write another line because it riffs off of the sound of that line. And I keep doing that, thinking about the rhythm and the sounds of the line before the line, but not thinking about what I'm saying. So sometimes I'll have notation, like I'll know that a sound needs to be there and that sound might be a word like road, but the sentence won't make, the line won't make any sense as we think about sense. And the reason why is because I just need to get the sounds out. So a line might actually say, foot truck the hill, right? Which doesn't make any sense. Foot truck the hill is going, which doesn't make any sense. But I don't care that it doesn't make any sense. I write the next line after that, which sounds something like that line. And then once I've done that, I sort of hit something that makes me where I sort of feel spent. And I look at that mess of words and I start asking it questions. And this is how I'm better able to get at the subconscious because I have the experience that we have when we're looking at a painting. When we look at a painting, a painting is... Yeah, it's kind of impressionistic. Yeah, it it doesn't matter how concrete or abstract the painting is. Something in us is driven to say, this is about, you know? Mm -hmm. And we'll give it a a beginning, a present, and we'll give it an after, right? We see two people cro- talking across the lawn, across like a campus or something. There's something in us that wants to imagine what they're talking about. Yeah. Oh, he's getting it now. I knew she, I knew she wasn't going to put up with that. Yeah. We don't even know. You don't know them people. Yeah, and what are they to each other? What's exactly. their relationship? And yeah. We, yeah, and we, we, yeah. we, we and, that, and when you have, if you can get text on the page, you can say, who is your speaker? And it doesn't have to be you. You can say... Where are you? What time of the month is it? What, what, what's, what season is it? Um, what's your dramatic situation? Why are you so angry right here? What is, this, what is this part about right here? You say the word, that's the word you. Who, is, who have you been talking to this whole time? Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you ask the poem questions, things you think, things that you have experienced, things you lived will begin to come out. Mm-hmm. And you do you work questions. with students that way? Do you yeah, that's what I do. And one of the did, things. Does, that, does it work for everybody? Is that 
or for just about everybody? When people are willing to let go, mm-hmm. it works. You know, one of the things I do is I have my students write the opposite of every word in a poem. I'll bring in a poem like The Coming of Light by Mark Strand because it's a very, uh, very short poem. And I tell them every word is, has a story. And if every word has a story, then you could tell yourself the story of the word and then write its opposite. For instance, a word like nappy, I'll put a word like nappy on the board and I'll tell them, now tell me the opposite of the word nappy. And some people will say straight. But then when I tell them to tell me the opposite of the word, word straight, they'll say gay, right? Uh. So or I put nappy on and I'll say, tell me the opposite of the word nappy. And some of them will say urine. Hmm. And the ones who say urine are usually when I'm teaching in community workshops with older people, there were diapers that were called nappies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the opposite of the diaper is a mess. Do you see what I mean? Uh But it it depends on who you are when you encounter the word and what your experiences are, you're going to tell yourself a different story. So they write the opposite of every word, even words that don't have opposites, like when or if. Do, Do you see what I mean? Or the right? Mm-hmm. They opposite, right? And then they have a mess of words. And I tell them, now use that to write your poem. And ultimately they glean from that a particular narrative and they have language that they otherwise would not have had. They mm. have syntax. Mm. They use words that they did not expect to use because of that. Right? I mean, if you're looking, if you're looking for the opposite of the word good and for whatever reason you say abomination, right? The word abomination is probably not a word you're getting into your poems until now. Right. So that's the kind of thing I'm interested in. I'm interested in, as opposed to sitting down trying to write a poem about blank and knowing everything that's going to happen in your poem, I'm interested in you finding out what you've been thinking sort of in a backdoor kind of a way. It's kind of, you know, you actually, your process is structured to yield surprise. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Like, you know, just... Ask it questions, and you'll find out. You'll find out what you've really been thinking. This is what I love about Skunk Hour. Y'all know this poem, Skunk Hour, by Robert Lowell. Y'all never heard of Robert Lowell. So Robert Lowell was this poet, and he wrote this really well. It used to be famous, but now nobody knows it. Uh, it's like the Pointer Sisters. Um, I cannot believe. Well, never mind. Um, <laughs> And in, in Skunk Hour, he talks for a long time about this island where he is and this, this little, this town. Was he an American poet? British he's an, poet? He's an American poet. Okay. And at some point in Skunk Hour, and he's talking, and it's awful, right? Like, y'all, y'all who go read Skunk Hour, this place is like, it's a really awful place, and he keeps telling us in every way possible, this is an awful place. It's even, like, there's even a point where it's like, He's like, even the gay people are unhappy. You know what I mean? Like everybody's, seriously. And then at some point in the poem, he says, my mind's not right. And we know at that moment that maybe the place wasn't really that awful. When he says my mind's not right, he's telling us everything I see, no matter how I would have seen it, no matter what I would have been looking at, it would have been a problem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when he drives up a hill, he says the skull of the hill or something like that. The hill's skull, right? Like why, why you got to see a skull? And so what I'm saying is we bring to language whatever we're already thinking about. And our job is to really find out, to sort of dig mm-hmm. and see, so what do I really think? What am I really? That's what I'm trying to do while I'm And that home. interrogation 
is, is not always happening, right? Like that is true in every moment. We're all bringing something to what we see and how we feel about yes. it and how we interpret it. Yes. But this is the process of taking that on, taking yes. it in. What is it that you're bringing? That's a very good way. What do you bring to the moment that you're not aware mm -hmm. you're bringing to the moment? And if you can figure that out, then you can also become more of who you indeed are because you're facing right. what you really think, who you really are. And you can make a decision like, do I want to be that person or do I want to more fully inhabit and become this person I have been being? You know, it's kind of, you said early on when we began to speak about uh, not being interested in, you want to see people in their, in their wholeness. Yeah. And this is also about the work each of us has to do to actually, in, our, in ourselves yeah. and with ourselves manifest yeah. in that yeah. wholeness. Yeah. I mean, I think, unfortunately, we have to wind down, but- Oh, um, that's too bad. I know. See, I said we could just keep nattering up here. Um, well, you I know, we laughed, we cried. We did. <laughs> In the credo, um, you know, so one thing I feel about the world right now is uh, there's kind of, there's, um, there's a scarcity, people, uh, of, there's a fragility to hope right now. Um, there's a feeling, I, I experience a lot of people saying it's hard to know that what you do, what I do, can make a difference, mm -hmm. although it feels like there's so much we want to change. Mm -hmm. um, I want to read something you wrote in that credo. You said, hope is always accompanied by the imagination, the will to see what our physical environment seems to deem impossible. Huh. Only the creative mind can make use of hope. Only a creative people can wield it. Come you like on. having your words Come on. read back to you? Say that again. That yeah. was good. Y'all heard that? Now that's the Dodge Anthem right there. I like that. That was good. I yeah, wrote that? You did, yeah. Come on, I better write. Y'all know that was good. Yeah. Say that again. I'm going to. That's very good. Y'all listen, y'all write it down. Okay. Oh, it's online. I think it's online. Hope, you can get some of the words and Google it. Hope is always accompanied by the imagination, the will to see what our physical environment seems to deem impossible. Only the creative mind can make use of hope. Only a creative people can wield it. Come on, creative people. I got some creative people out there. Yes, God. <laughs> Y'all better go home. I like that. Well, okay, so I'll, there's something else you had, oh which to God, me, this, right. <laughs> this goes together with that. I love this. People should pay me way more. They, they should. <laughs> I'm serious. So here's the other thing. People, it's like people feel like right now like... Uh, like the, it's it's hard not to be captive to the loud voices, the loud stories, the bad stories, the catastrophe, yeah, oh and my also God. what there is to work. You know, there's a lot to worry about. But but how do we know? You said this: an event happening ten minutes or ten years ago matters if anyone can indeed feel the effects of it now. Mm -hmm. That feels really important to me too, because anyone, right? Mm -hmm. If you have something you did ten minutes ago, one person mm -hmm. feels the effect of it. Mm -hmm. That's a metric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. This isn't a question. You just want me to say something about this. <laughs> I'm just using I the agree. occasion I, of having you sitting across yeah. from me to affirm. I, you know, it's hard. We're hard. It's, I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how y'all, I don't pay attention all over the country to how different people feel in different districts. So, you know, maybe y'all are having an easy time here. 
But you know, it's hard for a lot of us in this nation right now. Um, Cause it, you know, it's, I'll never, you know, I don't want to start crying and carrying on because I get emotional and we are out of time. So it's not, it's not time to cry. You got a few minutes. You can cry for a couple minutes. Well, you know, when I was watching, I watched, I, I, I probably shouldn't have. I listened to actually um, Dr. Ford's testimony and then I listened to, um, turns out to be Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had to fix my mouth for that. You know what I'm saying? Um, she, the thing she remembered that she said she remembered most wasn't the violence, it was their laughter. Mm. That she knew that she had been made into some sort of a plaything, some sort of an object, it's like so an animal. They were laughing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so when you, for somebody like me, you know, I was, um, I think for a couple of days, quite honestly, just very triggered by that. Like I couldn't. I, because, I, because of your rape. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think just life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like I really just could not function for a couple of days. And I was, I was, um, you know, wishing for pills my doctor won't give me because he thinks, you know, he knows I'll enjoy them too much. Mm. He will, my doctor will not give me Xanax, so if anybody wants to give me so. <laughs> Anyway, he won't do it. Anyway, so, so, I, I, so the thing I was thinking about in that moment when I was sort of down is, I know I'm not gonna be down forever because I know I'm not as bad off as I once was. Like I used to get down and it, I would wonder if it was gonna be over. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, what is the thing when I'm up because I am going to get up. And when I get up, what is the thing that's going to make me do stuff like this? What is the thing that's going to make me come to Dodge and talk? Do you know what I'm saying? And I don't, I still don't really know. I mean, I've been asking my friends this lately a lot, Mm -hmm. right? Like, why are we doing all of this? Mm -hmm. You know, like somebody introduced me as a cultural worker and and I feel like that. And I'm sort of like, but why am I doing all that? And then I realized that it was in the title, that what I do, I do for culture, that I create culture, that I live in and, and, and benefit from culture, and that art and that culture make my life worth living, and that it pushes me on to see more art, to make more things, that I'm a person who believes in living as one would want to see a life, right? That I really do believe in making the poems that I want to be in the world, in teaching the classes that I would want to see if I were a student, right. in dancing the way I like to see people dance. Do you know what I mean? And I think for me, knowing that I can do that is what I have. And I'm hoping that for more people that can be what you have in this moment, mm. that instead of looking at the things that are indeed, and. They're hurtful things, but I think it's important to say they are trying to hurt. They mean to hurt us. Do you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at the things that mean to hurt us, that we can look at each other, Mm -hmm. right? That we can hold up in the opposite direction some poetry, that we can hold up in the opposite direction some song, 
that we can hold up in the opposite direction, some belief we have in some community project, some play, something that we are doing, some child that we love, and that I think if we can concentrate on the best of one another, mm -hmm. um, on the best of the best of us, if we can really make the world we want to live in, even if it's only in our own heads or in our own homes or in our own cars on the way to work, then we'll be doing the beginning of something mm -hmm. new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, Yeah. Um, I feel like we should end with a poem. And yeah, I had yeah, actually smart. pulled out uh, Psalm 150 from, from uh, the New Testament, but maybe you have one you'd rather read from the New. No, I'll read Psalm 150. It's okay, a love well, poem. then I want to say, as I like your a love fellow poem. Baptist girl. Come on, Baptist. I, went, I looked back at the King James Version of Psalm 150. And it's. And Are you going to read the whole thing? No, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I'm going to remind people because if you ever went to church, you probably heard this. Praise ye the Lord. Praise <laughs> God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the fun, firmament of his power. That's how it starts. You know, praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. So here is Jericho Brown's Psalm 115. Hey, and thank you all so much oh, um, for being here. It's page 54. I really appreciate it. Psalm 150. Some folks fool themselves into believing, but I know what I know once at the height of hopeless touching. My man and I hold our breaths, certain we can stop time or maybe eliminate it from our lives, which are shorter since we learn to make love for each other rather than doing it to each other. As for praise and worship, I prefer the latter. Only memory makes us kneel, silent and still. Hear me, thunder scares, lightning lets us see. Then, heads covered, we wait for rain. Dear Lord, let me watch for his arrival and hang my head and shake it like a man who's lost and lived. Something keeps trying but I'm not killed yet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you're so sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.